Genesis chapter 22. It's on page 16 of your church Bibles. Uh, we're going to be reading verses 1 uh, through 19 this morning. Uh, last week we, we looked at uh, the birth of Abraham's son Isaac, uh, the, the long-promised uh, child, uh, one that had been anticipated for uh, nearly a decade, or about a quarter of a decade. Uh, and so uh, Isaac has, has come, he's been born, uh, they should all live happily ever after, shouldn't they? Well, let's see what happens next. Genesis chapter 22, uh, beginning in verse 1, I'll read through verse 19, uh, and this is God's word. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I, will t- I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb. For a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy. Or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God stands forevermore. The question that often gets asked when uh, this passage is talked about is, what, what would you do? Do you have faith like Abraham? And that's not completely wrong. In fact, we'll ask that question in a moment. But perhaps a better question is the, the Isaac question. Are you aware of the peril that you're in? We've been going through a, a series on the life of Abraham, and I expect uh, when I get back from the U.S. later this year, we'll, we'll go into the life of Jacob. If we try to do a series on, 
on the life of Isaac it'd be incredibly short. Uh, Isaac, for being the, the long-expected uh, and long-promised child, uh, gets spoken of very little uh, in Genesis. But here he, he takes center stage. I think the key for us understanding this passage, like, like much of Genesis, is to once again consider uh, who this account is being written to and what they would have taken away from it. It's been, been written to uh, God's people, the Israelites in the wilderness, in between captivity in Egypt and, and the promised land. Uh, these are people who would understand what Abraham had gone through uh, in, in uh, waiting for the promise of God to be fulfilled. And so I want to suggest to us three points this morning that reflect what, what I, I think they would have taken away and what I think we should be taking away uh, from this passage this morning. Three points for us. First of all, we'll see that that as God's people were called to, to boldly trust in the Lord. Secondly, we're called to depend on God's grace. And third, we're called to remember God's promises. So first let's see that we're called as God's people to boldly trust uh, in him, in the Lord God Almighty. This is actually what we learned from Abraham uh, in our passage, I believe. Remember where uh, this man had, had been. Uh, he was called out of the security of his homeland to, to follow God, which, which seemed like a, a big act of faith. But then rather quickly, we, we see that, that uh, faith uh, stumble, I suppose. He, he reverts to depending on uh, his own ingenuity. Uh, he ends up in Egypt where uh, he lied to Pharaoh uh, and God had to bail him out. And then he's promised a son, but uh, he and Sarah, his wife, didn't fully believe uh, that God could give him a son in their old age. And so Abraham has a son through Hagar, uh, his wife's servant. And last week we saw that, that son being sent away because it was only going to be through Isaac that the promises of God would be kept. And so God explicitly promised Abraham a son through Sarah. And that son, Isaac, uh, was born uh, through Sarah. And he promises that, God, that his promises would be kept uh, through Isaac alone. And that he would turn Abraham, he would make Abraham into a great nation and all the nations of the world would be blessed through him. Abraham is now over 100 years old at this point. He's lived a, a long life. And in that life, God has, has grown his faith and his trust in him. But what happens here doesn't feel so much like like bold faith, does it? It feels more like reckless faith. God tells Abraham to take the child of promise and to sacrifice him on a mountain that the, the Lord God will, will lead him to, which is astounding. But what's, what's perhaps more astounding is that Abraham does it. And why does he do it? This is, I think, the, the absolutely, uh, is absolutely critical for us to understand uh, about true faith in the Lord God. Uh, God does not need you and I to question how he's going to, to keep his promises. Uh, like Abraham, we're called to, to unquestioning obedience to his revealed will, knowing that, that the, the true and living God can do more than we could ask or imagine. Abraham had learned through a life of hard lessons that this God was, uh, that, that he follows is a, is a God who, uh, who could do anything, that he gave him this, this boy uh, this child that, that Abraham wasn't fully uh, certain that he could give him, but he gave it to him. 
Uh, he, he was convinced that, that this God could do for him and even for his own son things that, that Abraham could never even think of or imagine. That God could do things that, that you and I can never imagine in order to keep his promises. And Hebrews 11 gives us actually an explanation of what Abraham was thinking in this moment. Uh, Hebrews 11 looks back on this and says that by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Then this is what it says, Hebrews 11, verse 19. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. See, what Abraham understood was his own fallibility, that he could not uh, see everything that God could see, that he could not fathom the things that, that God could do in order to keep his promises to him. What Abraham knew with, with all his heart was that God was, was faithful to the things he had promised. Abraham understood God to, God's character profoundly. And so when God tests him, when he calls him to, to take his son to be sacrificed, he starts chopping wood and sharpening his knife. In light of what we've read here, I think we can safely say that, that by comparison, we often just play at faith, don't we? Our faith is, is often middle-class British, where we hope that God will just kind of keep our, our little lives that we carve out for ourselves uh, in the, the harmony that we, that we create. We want to simply maintain a, a cozy flat, a circle of good friends, uh, a steady income, and when the days are, are hard, uh, we want to be able to put on the kettle, uh, order a takeaway, uh, turn on the, the telly, and just feel better, don't we? We think hardships and things that, that try our faith is, is, are things like the, the rising cost of living or uh, a boss that's giving us a hard time at work. And I don't, I don't want to minimize any of these things. But we forget that we live in in one of the richest cities in the world, in, in, in London. It's an incredible city. And we're, not, we're not suffering things like they suffer in, say, the Kybera slums in Nairobi. Yet when we struggle, the, the things we like, like with things like finding an affordable place to live, or, or we struggle in a job that we find unsatisfying, or again, the cost of living means fewer nights out. We, when we face these things, we question God's goodness, don't we? Abraham's example says to us to, to grow up. You know, we want faith to be easy. We want it to be something that, that provides us with a, a sense that, that God is present in our lives and, and cares for us. But we want faith to, to really to, to give us a, a ready social group that we can relate to and have fellowship with. We want faith to, to make life just that, that little bit easier. What we don't want is to have to to boldly stand on, on absolutely everything that God has called us to in his word because that makes life awkward and we couldn't possibly see how God could, could use that for our good what we really mean is that we don't want to suffer temporary pain for God's glory trusting that he, he can turn all of those things for the, the good of those who love him so what we see in Abraham is, is something profound and, and how it, uh, 
uh, pulls us out of our our own sort of simple uh, middle class faith, doesn't it? It's a call to 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 obedience to the God who's made the promises and who we can trust to be faithful to those promises. I think it's safe to say that that what God asks of Abraham here is is not normative. But what he asks of his people is is rarely to to stay safe and and to and to to not ask questions and to ask questions when our faith becomes inconvenient or providence becomes hard. Rather what what God calls us to is to to walk straight into those things knowing that we are never safer and his promises are never more secure than when we draw near to him through faith and obedience. Now, the second thing that we should see is that we're, we're called as God's people to depend on his grace. And this is what we, we learned from Isaac. And if we're to, to understand this passage rightly, then I think we have to, to consider Isaac's perspective on it, don't we? Uh, what I find remarkable is that the, the first time we hear from Isaac, uh, it's in verse 7 of this passage, when he's on his way to be sacrificed. Here's what he says. Uh, Isaac said to his father Abraham, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. Uh, and he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? He knows, doesn't he? Isaac knows something isn't right, and that he's in deadly peril. You can't make a sacrifice without a lamb. They have uh, everything they need to make a sacrifice. They have, they have the wood, they have the fire, they have the, the knife to, to slaughter the lamb, but they, they don't have the lamb. Something isn't right. But notice Abraham directs him to what, what he must believe. Abraham says to him, God will provide for himself the lamb for burnt offering, my son. If Isaac didn't realize something was wrong uh, in this moment, then he certainly did uh, a few verses later when uh, he found himself tied up and laying on the wood with his father's blade hovering over him, ready to end his life. You know, this, this is no longer a story about bull of faith, is it? Uh, at least not from Isaac's perspective. It's a story of deep childhood trauma. You know, what must Isaac be thinking? Isaac realizes that his life is is in danger and that he desperately needs a lamb to stand in for him. And that's actually the whole lesson. That we rarely recognize the mortal danger that we are in. That the the blade of God's wrath and judgment hangs just above our chests ready to destroy us unless he can provide for himself a lamb to satisfy his righteous wrath towards us for our sins. See, Isaac teaches us what, what it is to depend upon God's grace. And that's no small thing. You notice he had no choice but to depend upon it. And that's, that's how it is for us as well. It's no small thing to depend on God's grace. And our dependence upon God's grace is, is a matter of, of life and death. God was gracious to Isaac by providing this, this ram caught in the thicket to put off his death and to, to give him life once again. And I think for the, the children of Israel in the wilderness, the, the point was clear, but, but it was obscure. 
and its ultimate meaning was, was, was not entirely clear to them. They knew that they needed God to, to provide a sacrifice for them or else they would face uh, certain death. The, the fact is that's, that's all of us. If you realize anymore the, the danger that our souls are in, we, we go about our lives as though uh, there will be no calling to account. We don't think that we'll, we'll have to bear the, the burden of the wood and the determined face of, of a God prepared to, to judge us according to our deeds. We underestimate God. We'd much rather spend time uh, questioning, why would God ask Abraham to do this? When what we should be asking ourselves is, could, could I be in such danger myself? Could I be where Isaac is? Could my soul face the judgment of death at the, the command of God. And what we all have to hope is that God provides a cover for our sins. And the wonder of this picture before us is, is, is not what, what God does for Isaac here, but actually what it, it points us to when we look at it through the lens of the New Testament and the gospel of Jesus Christ. This, this ram is a, is a picture and it's a placeholder. And it's meant to point us to, as God's people, forward to when he would provide his own son as a sacrifice for our sins. Did you notice in our, in our assurance of pardon this morning, we heard the, the words of, the, of God to Abraham echoed. Take your son, your, your one, only son, whom you love. And in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he sent his son, his, his only son, the one who could cover and protect and reclaim souls condemned to death and under the wrath of God. Isaac tells us that if we're to live, then we must depend upon God to bring us from death to life. If we're to live, then we must depend upon God to provide for us out of the abundance of his grace a sacrifice to cover our sin. Isaac may not get much space in, in Genesis, but, but I think that only serves to, to magnify the point being made through his life that God remembers his promises and he provides for his people out of the abundance of his grace. That we can depend on God's grace, folks, and that there's absolutely no hope without it. Now third, let's Let's see what, that, that we're called as God's people to remember God's promises. And this is what we learned from, from God in this episode. I, I think it's easy, easiest for us to, to take a human perspective when we, when we read these na- na- narratives, can't we? Uh, because we can relate to, to Abraham and, and to Isaac. They're people like us. But what we need to notice is the, the main person driving the action in this passage. It's, it's the Lord God himself, isn't it? And there's important lessons... To, to learn from what God is doing. We, we see here how important it is to respect God's providence and appreciate uh, our human fallibility. If we didn't uh, know the end, then we would certainly think that the beginning of this narrative was cruel. Uh, Abraham didn't know the end. He didn't have the convenience of only uh, having to read down a few verses to, to get to the resolution. He, he traveled a three days journey thinking he's going to, to put his son to death as a sacrifice to God. 
Abraham had to live in darkness and, and uncertainty of trusting in God's providence. And that's what life is. This is what it is to be human. We can't see the big picture of what God is doing or, or how he's working. Sometimes we might get to, to see uh, a bit of it in our lifetime. But we live such, such short lives and our, our place and part in, in history is, is, is so small that we don't always get to see how God's goodness plays out. Most of us aren't going to uh, achieve the age of, of even Abraham, uh, are we? Our lives are going to be shorter than his own. Well, Abraham only got to see a, a small taste of, of the promises of God fulfilled. He, he was given a ram to give back his son's life. What he didn't see was all the offspring that, that uh, was promised. And he didn't see how God was going to, to, to bring offspring uh, for, for Abraham from, from outside of, of his direct descendants. That's, that's the Gentiles that you and I, isn't it? And God brought us in to the family of Abraham by bringing us into his own family through Jesus Christ. But for Abraham and even the Israelites, first, first reading and hearing this account in the wilderness, they had to remember and trust in God's promises, knowing that God was, was good enough and his character was strong enough to keep those promises. We've seen fully what Abraham didn't get to fully see, haven't we? But that he had, to, he had to take hold of the things that he had to take hold of by faith. And he, uh, we're told, gives this, this hill that uh, he had climbed with his son and made sacrifice to the Lord on a name. Uh, and then an angel appears and, and the Lord comes and renews the promises made to him. But look at, look at verse 14. It says, so Abraham called the name of that place. The Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. The place that, that Abraham named the Lord will provide would, would later in the Old Testament become uh, the Temple Mound, the, the place of worship and sacrifice in the city of the Lord God. In the New Testament, it was, it was in the, roughly in the vicinity of Calvary, the mountain on which it can truly be said that the Lord did provide when he gave his son his only son, as a sacrifice for our sins. We rarely see the full picture, don't we? And we rarely comprehend the, the reasoning behind God's actions in our world, his providence in the here and now. Which is why our calling today is, is very much the same as Abraham's was so, so long ago. Told fast to the promises of God. Kept and delivered in Christ Jesus. In order that we might look forward by faith and in, in dependence upon his grace, trusting in the promises made in Christ, that he's covered our sins, and that he will come again in glory to bring in the fullness of, the, of his kingdom and to reign over us as people forevermore. A day when there will be no more need for further promises. There'll be no need for further sacrifice. And there'll be no need for further faith because all the promises will have been kept. The atoning sacrifice has been made and our faith will become sight. Let us pray.